It's so pretty outside, we're going to release early. Hope you have a great weekend. Isn't this why we live here? Don't you feel sorry for everybody else? My friends back in Texas said, don't you miss Texas? Are you out of your mind? Heat and bugs. Settles it. Anybody know what the day is? Palm Sunday. Doesn't mean you go to Palm Readers. That's not it. We're in that season we talk about the resurrection, the death, burial, and the life of Jesus, which actually, you know, changed the entire history of the world for you and me. But on Palm Sunday, we hardly ever talk about Palm Sunday. And I'm not going to talk about it either, but uh, I'm just going to give you a couple of <laughs> updates on it. There's two things about Palm Sunday I really like. There's a couple of stories. You know, I, I've told you before, I'm a story guy. And but there's, there's two stories about Palm Sunday, and they're wrapped into one that just jazz me. You remember uh, Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, and that's where the palms came out. They cut the palm branches, and they waved, and they worshiped, and that's where he said, if you don't, you don't worship me, you, these rocks will. You notice the earth recognized who he was. You ever thought about a donkey that had never been ridden? You ever been on one? I was raised around animals, I know. I, when I grew up, we had, uh, in Texas, where it was hot and bugs, we grew up with horses. When I, we, there, there were seven of us kids, five boys, and someone felt sorry for us, so they gave us a racehorse. <laughs> uh, prior to that, we bought a Shetland pony, and you know the older boys, my older brothers, could ride the racehorse, and we rode the Shetland pony. Well, the Shetland pony had a mindset that you ain't riding me. And the three little boys, which I was one of those, say, oh, yes, we are. And we broke him. And he was like, oh, God, here they come again. He was so relieved the day we got rid of him. He was like, thank you. And then we got two mid-sized Shetlands. One was called Blue. She, she, uh, she was the sweetest horse. And then we had Red, we called her Strawberry. And because she was red. And uh, red or strawberries decided you could ride me one at a time, but you can't ride me double. If you ride me double, you will both be on the ground. <laughs> it was an inner vow. I could never get her free from it. <laughs> she lived her whole life with that inner vow, and it worked. We could ride her, and she'd just pitch us off, and we'd try it again, and she'd buck us you know, off. And, but I'm thinking about this donkey that had never been ridden, didn't buck. Why? Because the animal recognized the creator. But it makes me think about the two disciples that had to go get the donkey. <laughs> now, you just think about this for a minute. In your relationship with the Lord right now, if he said to you, I want you to go down to a certain street, at that corner, there's going to be a donkey. It's tied up. I want you to go get it and bring it here. By the way, if they say anything to you like you're stealing it, just tell them the Lord needs it. Just go out to the parking lot today, borrow that black car that sits right there on the corner. If anybody asks you anything, just tell them the Lord needs it. I'll visit you next week in jail. 
Can you imagine as the two disciples that got this command from Jesus, they wanted to say back, does he not know what thievery is? You take the donkey, I'll do the talking. Can you imagine the conversation they're having between the two? Those are my two favorite Palm Sundays. I, you know, I always think about my relationship with the Lord and the things that he asked me to do. And I'm like, man, would I have gone and just, I mean, you know, back in the Western days, you steal a horse, they hang you. Anybody watch Westerns? Hello? <laughs> I mean, that's, there is not a trial. You're over. I can imagine in Jesus' day, you know, animals were a very, very big part of families and what they did. So I'm like, man, that's, that's a hard request. I'm trying to learn to follow the Lord, but it worked out. Both of them were like, wow, that worked out pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad you took it. Your name's on record, not mine. But I like those Palm, palm uh, Sunday stories. Uh, the resurrection stories that are coming, the ones I really like are when all the dead people that were in a Abraham's bosom got to go back into the city. Can you imagine when they were walking around? Well, I didn't know they built a McDonald's right there. Wow, Walmart? We never had Walmarts right there. But my favorite part of it is when they went and knocked on the doors and, you know, can you imagine when you opened the door? Ah, Grandma! Didn't we bury you three years ago? I mean, those, those are the fun resurrection stories I like. That, uh... But here's the question I want to present to you today. As we go into this season of celebrating what liberated us, the question I have for you this morning is, what did the Father gain from the cross? I know what you and I gained. I mean, we gained freedom from sin. We gained uh, liberation. It gave us a relationship again. It opened up the, the door for us to receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 50 days after, where we received the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit. I get all that. But what did the Father have the gain at the cross. You ever thought about it? Us. He no longer was limited to visiting us. It was that he can now live in us. Isn't this what he had in the garden with Adam and Eve? And then sin separated it. He sent Jesus to pay for sin he took sin out of the way and opened the door for him to again invade our beings. It's, that's all he wanted. So what I want to talk to you this morning is about our father. I want to come from an angle of what the enemies tried to do through the years on the physical earth with our fathers. We have, I mean, anybody know we have a crisis in father relationships today? There's a crisis, among, especially in this Western culture, but not only here, but it's around the world. I've been, I've been in a few other places, and it's, it's interesting to see how the enemy has, has come against father-children relationships. But I want to expose something. I want to expose what he's doing, and I want to share with you the greatest triumph I've ever had in my entire life is with this thought of the father and how he resurrected life in me through this that has propelled me to live. So I'm going to share a little bit of how the enemy's, what he's working on, and then I'm going to show you how the Father, through the words of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3, and I want you to go to Luke chapter 15. We'll start in Genesis chapter 3. 
what is the, why is the enemy working overtime to destroy our relationships with our Father? We're the gift, right? We're what he gained. You understand Satan cannot have this kind of relationship with the Father ever. It's over. It's done. He didn't get a redo. What he's after, though, is he would love to destroy ours, and we see this a beautiful picture of it in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the, and, uh, the enemy comes. But I, I want to share, share something with you. Our earthly relationships with our own fathers, the struggles that we have there are mimicking or creating patterns or pictures of how we see our heavenly father. This is what I want to expose to you. I didn't have a very good father relationship. My mom and dad divorced when I was a year and a half old. That's nothing new. I've told you before. It wasn't my fault. If you've ever, if your parents have ever divorced and you took the blame for it, stop it. Not your fault. Just because people don't have a mechanism in place to resolve issues doesn't mean it was your fault. Most marriages that I talk with don't have a mechanism in place that they can resolve any issues or the, what, the mechanisms that are in place that are resolving issues are not really resolving issues, they're creating more. Manipulation, control, anger, resentment, all those things are a mechanism to resolve issues that just don't work. Anybody ever been manipulated? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's wonderful. If you haven't, you ought to try it. It's so fun. If you're manipulating now, stop it. It's not a technique that works. Jenny and I are going to talk about this at the marriage conference. You're going to get to hear the other side of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. She's going to get to share what a jerk I was and how she saved me. We didn't have a mechanism of resolving anything either. We were terrible, terrible for 12 years at resolving issues. And then we, we came to this realization of what we were doing, duh, a little slow, wasn't working. Hello. And then when we came to that realization, we began to build something that did. Here we are about to celebrate our 34th anniversary, and we've had 20 plus years of incredible life. If I went to heaven today, I would have said full is full. I've enjoyed every last moment of the last 20 plus years, simply because we stumbled onto something. We're going to share it with you. Those of you that are going to be there. Uh, it is really good. But this is what we're trying to create with a father. How do I get these barriers between me and my father out of the way? The enemy has created barriers. If you don't know what I'm going to point it out to you, I'm going to show you how he does it. But I had barriers with my, my earthly dad. They divorced when I was a year and a half old. I didn't create it. But I had barriers. I was still longing as a boy, I need you to affirm me. I mean, you know, as, as sons and daughters, we need some affirmation. Hey, you're good. You know, come on. You can do it. I, I participated in a lot of sports. My dad never made any of those. I graduated from high school. Hey, he never came to that. I graduated from college. He didn't make that. I got married. He didn't come to that. I had four children, a son that was going to carry his name. He didn't come to that. I'm going to tell you something. That creates man issues. As a boy, I needed some of that stuff. 
I'm not blaming him. I know, I understand the circumstances. I understand the decisions. I'm not, but I still, his choices still left me void. Does that make sense? So I needed it. Where did I get it? What I'm about to show you. I got it from my heavenly father. I've been fathered by God. Really good. Really good. But because I had earthly issues and barriers, I had to learn how to get through these barriers with my father in heaven. Anybody ever had a barrier with an earthly dad? Shoo, I'm glad I'm not the only one in the room. Anybody in here have a great relationship with your father on earth? I mean, just really great relationship. God bless you. God bless you. Come tell me about it sometime. I'd like to hear your stories. Anybody have a horrific relationship with your dad? Mm. I know there's pain in that. Anybody have a so-so, he just non-existent, kind of there? Okay. We all get different stories, and it's great. Some of them have it with mother issues. We'll get to Mother's Day soon. <laughs> we'll get there. Today, we're going to talk about daddy, all right? Let's see what the enemy's tactic and plan is. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, I mean 3, excuse me, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Who made him? Hmm. And he said to the woman, God ha has God indeed, he asking her a question, has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden or every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it. You can't touch it or you'll die. Then the serpent said to the woman, now watch, here's the twist. You will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. What is he promising? Here's a twist. It happens every time. Understand how he operates. He promises her her eyes are going to be opened. What does that mean? She's going to see something she's never seen. Yes? Okay. Your eyes will be opened too, uh, and you will be like God, meaning... She's not like God, right? Knowing good and evil. So when the woman took what he said, she went down and she looked at the tree, and the tree was good for food. Man, it looks good. Let me sniff it. Yeah, it's good. She said it's pleasant to the eyes, so it's, it's pretty fruit. And then here's the hook. A tree desirable to make one wise. Was she stupid? Did she need wisdom? Did she already have it? In her eyes, though, what she's heard through the information she's processed, she now needs some wisdom. This tree was going to give it to her. So she took of his fruit. She ate. She gave it to her husband. He ate. And then their eyes were open. What'd they see? They knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves and made uh, leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, therefore, hid from the presence of the Lord. What did they see? Do you understand their world right now? only consisted of God. He was in the center of their universe. They had never one time ever seen self. They'd never one time had a selfish desire or a selfish thought. 
ever because their whole world was consumed by God. He planted a thought, I told you two weeks ago. Thoughts that turn into imaginations darken hearts and create strongholds. Thoughts that are, he, there's a presentation of a thought. She captured the thought. She allowed it to go in her imagination. How'd she do that? She went down and looked at the tree. She sniffed. It looks good. Picked it up. Looked good for food. She ate of it by a thought. She put her emotions around it. She wanted, she took the, the lie, hook, line, and sinker. Remember two weeks ago I told you in Romans chapter 1, there's a the lie, not plural, the lie versus the truth. Creator versus created. The creature versus the creator. The lie is always wrapped around the created in casting a darkness over the creator. What was he doing? He was saying, your dad's not good enough. You need more. It's a cast of darkness, a lie, the lie. You're not going to get life out of the creator. It's out of the created. I see people who worship things all the time. I've been part of it. We are trying to find something in the creation that will give us happiness, that will satisfy, and it's the lie. doesn't matter if it's power, if I can just be a pastor. It's the stupidest lie you've ever heard, but it's if I could just be in power, if I could be the CEO, if I could just have a riches, if I could just have another relationship besides the one I have, if I could just get rid of my marriage partner now and find the right one. It's all about the creation that something's here versus the creator. The lie is always wrapped there. And once you allow it into your imagination, into your visual look, where you get this look, it wraps your emotions around it. All the enemy has to do is whisper. And he gives you a thought and it runs. How do you create a stronghold? That's how you do it. Gets in your emotions, gets in your, in your will, mind, will, emotions, in your, in your soul. And then he whispers and he's got you trapped. What he's doing is he's trying to create a barrier between you and the father. This is where I found myself a number of times in life. And he makes you want what they did at the end here. You know what they did? They hid from God. You ever tried to hide from God? It doesn't work very well. In hiding from God, what we're trying to say to him is, I don't want to talk to you about this area because if I have to talk to you about this area, you're probably going to reprimand me. He's not. Here's what I'm going to show you today. I'm going to liberate you today. This is the place I found myself with a stronghold. I was 35 years old. I found myself with a stronghold I could not get rid of. The enemy had me on a roller coaster ride at any moment. All he had to do was whisper a thought, and that thought went into my emotions, and they exploded. And from there, I had all kinds of havoc being reaped in my body and in my mind and my emotions. And I'm going to tell you the journey the Father took me on to break that, to get this barrier out of the way that he was withholding something from me. I'm going to tell you good news today. God is not withholding anything from you. Point number one. He wasn't withholding anything from Adam and Eve. Nothing. They were already made in his image. They already had his identity. See, what the enemy, this is, this is the ultimate lie. Your identity has to go be taken or found somewhere else. Instead of, you're fighting for it instead of from it. 
I'm going to say it again. You don't have to fight for your identity. You fight from your identity. There's a difference. But you have to learn in this identity, the barriers that come here, that trying to create what the enemy is trying to create, what he's trying to do is put you in a place that you think you're inferior. Let me prove it to you. I'm not going to take the time to read it. One of the absolute most used scriptures in all of the Bible is Job. Remember the little dialogue that Satan went into the, the heavens and they talked about Job and then God said, hey, I give you permission. You can't take his life, but you can take everything else. This is a scripture the enemy uses the most to wreak havoc in people's lives. How many of you have ever heard this comment? Well, I'm just having one of those Job moments, you know. God must be trying to teach me something. Anybody else ever heard that voice besides me? One, two, three, four, five, 26, 38. This is a very uh, documented use of scripture, in my opinion, by the enemy to twist, to put a shadow over your father, over my father. He used it multiple times in my life until I received the truth. What he's trying to do is he's trying to create a barrier that you can't approach God, and we have zero authority. The enemy can just do whatever he wants to do, as long as God gives him the permission, right? Not what that story is about. I'm not going to go into it today. I'm going to give you some resources to read about it because I think they're really healthy. That story is about authority. Who has authority over the enemy? Did anybody in the Old Testament have authority over the devil? You ever see him resisting him? There were some curses that if you didn't obey... The real issue is, what authority did Job have? You switch over to Jesus talking about authority, and he says this in Luke 9 and Luke 10, I give you complete all authority over the power of the enemy. Peter says it this way, if you submit to God, resist the devil, he has to flee. Jesus demonstrated it in the wilderness when the enemy came and presented three lies, just like he always does, casting doubt on the Father, always putting God in a shadow, always making him look like the evil one. Have you ever seen the enemy attack people and then blame God? This is his, he's a master at it. But Jesus says, I, when he left, Matthew 28, he's out of here. He's going through the heavens. His last words were, I have all authority in heaven and earth, and I give it to you. You take that authority and go make disciples and exercise it on earth. Rule and dominion, what Adam and Eve had in the garden, we can have today. Why the earth always responds to Jesus, because they recognize him. They ought to respond to us, too, because he's in us. What we're trying to learn is our identity in the Father and operate from that position versus operating from position trying to gain our identity. Job is a story that the enemy loves because it goes like this. If I can convince you that God's not going to protect you and you're on your own, I can cast shadow over God. And I can make you have a barrier where you won't approach him. 
How did it work for me? When I was in the midst of the stronghold, 35 years old, I've been fighting it for a long time, had people tell me, you'll never be free from it. You'll never get rid of it. You'll never, you'll never be in liberation. You'll just have to live with this the rest of your life. And I was talking to dad about it. One, well, actually, he talked to me about it. He said, hey, I want to talk to you about that stronghold. I said, I figured we'd get to this sometime. He goes, no, I'm not mad. I said, excuse me? Now, I'm going to remind you again, I've never had an audible voice. I'm not opposed. I would take the handwritten note on the wall. Sometimes I miss it. I'm okay. Doesn't bother me. But I get thoughts. That's exactly the way the devil talks to me. I don't know how he talks to you. You ever heard an audible voice from the devil? Some may. I haven't. But I know he's talking to me. Some of you are saying right now, he's talking to you a lot. Listen. When the Father starts speaking to me, I know words of life and I know words of death. I've become, I've got a degree in it right now. I mean, this really gotten me, I mean, I've used it so much. I mean, I don't have the paper, but I mean, I got a degree in this stuff. I know when the devil talks. This is what the Father said to me. I am not mad about your stronghold. I said, you're not. He goes, no. I said, you're not even a little bit ticked off. He goes, no. I said, are you, gotta, is it, are you peeved? No. You're not upset? No. I want to talk to you about it. So if you're not mad and you're not frustrated with it, you're not disgusted, you mean we can actually talk about this? He goes, yeah. I said, all right. What do you want to say? He said, I want to say I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm going to help you get out of this. I said, well, people have told me they can't get out. Said, people say a lot of things about me too. I'm going to show you the truth, and I'm, the truth's going to set you free. And I said, deal. I had the truth within 90 days. Totally liberated. I'm now, I'm 55. It's 20 years ago, and I'm free. Why? First step for me is to get the barrier removed that my father was against me that he was mad, that I had hacked him off. When he removed that barrier, it brought me into a, a deeper relationship that I could say, can we talk about these issues? And he said, I would love, I've been waiting for this day. I'm sorry, you waited an extra 10 years. But you believed the lie that I was distant. So here's a resource. If you want to go back and get Job, then I'll finish the rest of the story, and I'm going to show you the Father through the eyes of Jesus. One of the resources, if you're interested in learning more about the story of Job and the authority of that and the position that uh, that created and the time frame that God was operating in with people, I encourage you to go to this website. There's a man that Jenny and I supported for years while they were missionaries in Peru. He's now teaching at a Bible school here local, and his name is BarryBennett.org. Barry, two R's and an A, Y, Bennett, two N's and two E's, two T's, .org. He's got a teaching called, What About Job? This has tripped up the body of Christ so much, I would encourage you. Just go read his stuff. Go listen to his messages. Just go find him. Google him. You'll get him. The other one is, is Andrew Womack's ministry. He teaches on the authority of the believer. In that series, he addresses Job. I just saw, I just saw Andrew uh, Friday night. I don't care if you like him or don't like him. It's not the issue. The fruit that goes with him is good. 
There are unbelievable signs, wonders, and miracles that are following his ministry. In that authority issue, he, or in that authority teaching, he teaches on what is the position of Job. I'm going to just throw this at you. I'm not going to, not going to spend any time with it, but I'm going to throw this at you. All right? I'm just going to plop it on you. Did you ever read Hebrews chapter 9? Hebrews chapter 9 is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He says he goes into the heavens and he presents the Father, his blood, one time for sin to be done with. Hebrews chapter 9 says, like the, the tabernacle of Moses, all the, the utensils that were there, the showbread, the lampstands, he goes through all the, the listings of it. It's an earthly figure of a heavenly setting. And it says this in Hebrews 9, 23, Jesus went into the heavens and cleansed the heavens. Hello? What in heaven needed to be cleansed? If you hadn't asked that question, you should ask that question. Not a new doctrine. I'm just trying to get you to think. What's my role? Be perfect? No. Know everything? No. Make you think? Yes. What was in the heavens that needed to be cleansed? When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they gave Satan the deed to the earth. That gave him a right as a son, taking that deed to go into the heavens to accuse us. When he stood in the heavens as the other sons, just go read Job, but didn't take time to read. As he stood in the heavens to accuse us, it had him a right. He stood in the heavens. Jesus, when he went presented the blood, took his blood and cleansed that spot where he stood to get that filth out of heaven. No longer acceptable. I'm telling you today, Satan does not have the right or, or the freedom to go into heaven to accuse you to the Father. His only right now is to accuse us to us. That day is over. That spot has been cleansed and never be cleansed again. And I'm telling you, God wants you to see your identity in him. You're not fighting for it. You're not trying to get something. You've already got it. And I'm going to prove it to you in scripture. So those are two resources that will just cause you to go deeper into understanding what was happening with Job, where, what was taking place in his life, and what does that reflect on our relationship with the Father. Don't ever let that voice tell you again, this is just one of those Job moments and God's trying to teach you something. That's a lie. That's what my granddaughter does. Just two. I taught her the horsey sound. Talking about donkeys and horses, she, I taught her the sound. I make a lot of sounds. I mean, I can talk like Donald Duck. I am a multi-talented individual, and I barely let you see any of it. But I taught her, say, we look at a picture of a horsey, and I go, the only part she caught was, it's okay, it's great. She used to go like this, and she stopped that. But she likes that. It always gets her attention. I'm trying to do anything to win her heart. Because you see, I know what being father does makes me a really good granddaddy. Yeah. Chick-fil-A and ice cream any day. Send them home sugared up, doesn't bother me a bit. 
I want you to see through the eyes of Jesus what daddy did for me. I'll tell you a couple stories and we'll be done. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. I want to rename it. It's really not the story of a prodigal son. It's the story of the father. When you read this story, and I'm not going to read all of it, uh, just for time's sake, when you read this story, there's 12 references to father. Okay? If you have your Bible, I would underline them. This is a story that Jesus is trying to reveal about your daddy to you about my daddy to me. This is a story of Jesus. From, do you think Jesus knows the father? Who's more qualified to talk about daddy than Jesus? Not Satan, but Jesus. Watch. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, Jesus, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them in his livelihood. And not many days from there, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted all the possessions with prodigal living. Look at verse uh, 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. Isn't that a coincidence that there's these two things? He just ended spending everything in a severe famine. Must be God trying to teach him something. I'm just saying. <laughs> then he went and joined himself, in verse 15, to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and there's a really good moment right there. That's what happened to Jeff Drott when he was 35 years old. He came to himself. Hello, wake up. Good moment. And he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you, and uh, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he, he arose, and he was a great, uh, came to his father, and when he was a great way off, his father saw him. If you are thinking about hiding from daddy today, wake up. You're not doing a very good job. His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. And the son said to the father, hey, dad, man, I've blown it. I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I've sinned against everybody. I have, I'm messed up. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And his dad said, well, let's talk about that. No, he didn't. He, verse 22, the father said, bring me a ring. Bring me a robe. Bring me sandals. Kill the fatted calf. I want to have a party. What response would you receive from your father? I want you to notice something here. Do you notice that he did not get a lecture going down the driveway when he was leaving, nor did he get a lecture coming back up the driveway when he came home? I want to paint a different picture of the father to you today. Your father is not trying to, uh, let me just read this right verbatim so that I don't get it wrong. God is not trying to deal with our sin. He's trying to, he's trying to position us and establish our righteousness. I'm going to say it again. God is not trying to deal with our sin. He's trying to establish us in righteousness. It's a different mentality. But if you've had a shadow cast over the Father that he's still trying to deal with your sin and get you straightened up and get you straightened out so he can make something out of you, you have been lied to. 
He has already dealt with sin once and for all. He's not dealing with it again. Jesus is not coming back to get whipped and crucified again. It's done. The blood was presented and received. He's past, present, and future sins. You know, 2,000 years ago, I wasn't even on the earth, and he paid for my sins. What is he trying to do? He's trying to establish me in righteousness, his righteousness, which means I'm in right standing with him. What does that mean? My identity, I'm trying to learn my identity here so I can fight from it instead of for it. This is all he's trying to do. The enemy wants you to fight for your identity. This is why it's so hard for people who are in adoption. There's an abandonment spirit. There's a rejection spirit. I had it with my own daddy. I had a rejection from him, and I dealt with rejection my whole life. I want you to like me. I got to the place. I really don't care. Why? Why? Because I'm liked by a much greater resource. You can write me ugly emails. It's fine. Mike's going to read them, not me. <laughs> Do you know I get a few? It's so fun to hit forward. Forward. Isn't that the Mikey? you know some people don't like me? It's shocking. <laughs> they used to bother me. But you understand what happened to me when I was 35, started when I was 25, and he's made a progression. At 25 years of age, I've had my first daughter. Anybody remember being a dad for the first time? Oh, man. My wife taught piano lessons, and she, uh, she, she, I would get to keep Jessica as our oldest, and I would keep, keep Jessica back in the bedroom while she taught piano lessons, and I learned a few things, you know. Right after they feed, it's not a good thing to shake them. <laughs> but I knew my daughter was going to be an athlete immediately because I was laying on the bed, and I was shaking her, and she propelled that cottage cheese stuff right into my mouth perfectly. <laughs> I knew she was an athlete. I'm like, this girl may, may break records in scoring points in basketball. I don't know, but this girl's good. I mean, I'm holding her, and she propels all the curdled right in a, oh. You got a couple of choices. I make it to the bathroom out of here. I did not swallow it. it. Might have been good for her. I was not thinking it was good for me. So I learned. Mm -mm -mm -mm, don't shake. Hold. Let them coo. Don't shake. It was a hard lesson. But in that time, I was having one of those moments with her, and she was cooing at me, and she, you know, how babies grin. You know, it just it melts you. And I, I was having that moment with her, and I heard daddy's voice when I was 25 years old, and this is what he said. I sure wish I could hold you that way. Again, it wasn't audible. I said, Lee, I never let you hold me, do I? He goes, nope. I said, why do I always keep you at arm's length? He goes, I've been asking the same question. This is what I did. I laid her down. And I said, hold me. 
What I'm about to explain to you, I can't scripturally prove it. I can't tell you, but it's only from my experience, but you'll never take it away from me. I felt a physical presence I had never felt in my entire life. And all of a sudden, there's something that wrapped over my being that changed me from that moment on. What was he doing? He was showing me a prodigal son whose heart was far from him, who came. He was showing me my identity in him, and he wasn't mad. Ten years later is when he told me, I am not mad. I want you to be free. And then he showed me the truth and set me free. Ten years after that, I buried my earthly daddy. At his funeral, I did not cry. I loved him. I loved him unconditionally because my heavenly father had done something in me. When I was 18, he told me to call him and ask him to forgive me. And I said, I'm not doing that. He goes, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I've done nothing wrong. He's the father. I'm the son. He's the jerk. I'm the, I haven't done anything wrong. He goes, your attitude is sorry. And I said, you don't have to talk to me like that, really? <laughs> I mean, so real. I said, well, my attitude is sorry because he made it sorry. He said, no, you have a choice on your attitude. He said, I want you to call him and tell him you have a sorry attitude. Will you forgive me? I did. Liberated me. He's setting up patterns of my identity in him that I live from this identity, not trying to get something. And so when I, I, I told him, I said, Dad, he's not going to listen to me about you. He, he hates I'm going into the ministry. He doesn't know how to enter, enter, even introduce me to his drinking buddies. He's embarrassed to tell his drinking buddies I'm in the ministry, his own son. He said, not your issue. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to pray that you'll send, I'll send people to him that are real with me, that know me, and I'll, te- I'll have them tell him about Jesus because he won't listen to you. I said, deal. So I began to pray, Lord, everywhere he goes, I want, I want Radham. I want Paul and Silas and Barnabas. I want them kind of people. I want them wrecking his world. <laughs> At his funeral, I had three people come up, and they told me those stories. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. And this is what I heard dad. I was driving home after his funeral. I tapped a casket on my dad. I didn't cry. Hey, dad, I'll see you on the other side. I knew he was, God had already confirmed he's going to be on the side. I'll see you on the other side, dad. I love you. I'm sorry you didn't live a really good life, but it's okay. You're in heaven now. It's all right, man. I love you, man. And I tapped the casket on the way back, and the Lord said, did I answer your prayer? And I said, dad, you always do. You're amazing. Next morning, I wake up, I go to work. I'm not, even, I'm not even going to take time off of work. I go to work. I'm a pastor at this moment in time. And when I, I go in, we, we're going to pray. Pastors get together. We pray over everything. And so we're going to a meeting. We're going to pray. And we, one of my buddies starts praying. When he starts praying, I start crying. I'm like, what is this? Now, <clears throat> I'm pulling out Kleenexes, blowing snot and boogers everywhere. I mean, it's just like, I can't get control of this. I'm like, I'm going to have to excuse myself and go home. I don't know what's going on. I cried through the whole meeting. I was holding it back. I get through that meeting. I go into another meeting. And I'm crying through that meeting. I cried through the lunch. I cried through lunch all the way to the end of the day. At 5 o'clock at the end of the day, I'm finally going home. I'm like, this was a really embarrassing day. What is this? And this is what I heard. This, this changed me for the rest of my life. What he did when I was 25 was building to what I was 35, and he came to this moment. He said, son, what you buried yesterday was the hope that you would ever be affirmed. What I'm telling you is I affirm you today, and my affirmation is greater than his will ever be. You're my son. 
it liberated me. I didn't cry another second. I hadn't cried over my dad's death. It's been 12 plus years. I hadn't cried over his death at all. What am I telling you today? Don't ever let the voice of the enemy cast darkness on your daddy uh, towards you. Don't let him create a barrier between you and your father. I'm telling you, he's the most incredible thing. The creator is still the creator who loves you. He's waiting to party with you. Even if you have a bad attitude like the second son, he left the porch for the second son too. He's not showing any partiality, but if you've got a mental mindset that your father is holding you at bay, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Run to him. Have a moment that you come to yourself and run to him. Watch what he does. It's the ring. It's the robe. It's the sandals. It's the fatted calf. Those are all symbols of the identity that's already in him. Nothing to do with what he's doing. Everything to do with who he is. That's what he wants to do in us. Will you embrace it? How many of you are saying to me today, Jeff, I've got some situations and issues right now that have cast a shadow on the Father. I've heard that voice. But we're going to pray that stuff off. Holy Spirit, every hand represents a heart that's heard a lie. I ask you to expose the lie and cause the truth to be shown of who you are that you're incredible, that you're amazing, that you are for us, you are not against us, and that you want us to succeed with everything we put our hand to. And we're just one of your thoughts away from winning. Let us see what you see. Let us feel your embrace. Let us receive your robe. Let us receive and wear your ring with honor. Let us wear your sandals and eat your fatty calf. This is a great day. In Jesus' name, amen.